Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? Today we have the last and final episode of Series 5. This has been all about the Challenger Cell. This is, uh, this is my favorite sales book uh, for as far back as these things go. This is something we've talked about really since we've been doing the start of this podcast, Bobby. It's, uh, it's a great book. No doubt. I love it as well, and one that I have uh, gone back to many times. Yeah, so we, we decided to add in the cha- this, the Challenger Sales Manager. It's a good, because the audience is growing, which has been fun. We have a number of first-line managers that are listening to the show. We have a number of um, reps that aspire to be sales managers. So this was kind of by request. We decided to add this uh, episode five of the Challenger series, series five. So uh, this is all going to be about the interaction of a challenger sales manager. What do they do different? How do they interact with their teams? But if you've missed any part of this series, it's probably worth going back. What we covered in the first couple episodes was all about the challenger approach. So we talked about the different sales personas. We talked about, Bobby, you're kind of, your, your instinct is to be more of the lone wolf. Mine is to be more of the problem solver. Well, we talked about how you can use those best tendencies to turn into more of a challenger approach. So while you have those tendencies, and those are great tendencies, uh, tendencies the challenger approach is the most successful of all those. We, we talked about spin selling. We talked about um, how that you know kind of compared and contrast that model to spin selling and kind of the old school questions about you know, diving deep in early discovery and how that contrasts to the challenger cell and why the challenger cell is a bit more effective. We've talked about last week, we talked about the six steps for the challenger cell way, uh, which is all about um, the warmer, the reframe, rational drowning, emotional impact, the new way, what your solution is. We gave examples of, of our workplaces and how we do this week to week. And then finally, we kind of wrapped it all up, Bobby, with uh, both tailoring for resonance and taking control of the process. This is where we talked about um, whether you got six customers or 80 prospective customers, how do you scale this to work for your customer base? We talked about building a list of business income outcomes and then and trying to use themes that um, exist across your 80 customers or six customers with existing stories you already have in your business. So that's a bit... It's a lot, but that's a bit of what we've covered in this past series. And like I said, it's been a lot of fun. It has been. And I think we weren't going to originally include this challenger sales manager component, but thought it was worth the time and effort for those out there that have been asking us manager questions, next step questions in their career, etc. So we hope that uh, this lands well and that you finished the book and read those last couple chapters as well. Indeed. So. The Challenger Cell team, uh, Matt Dixon uh, kind of led this, uh, conducted a study on sales management to determine what makes an effective sales manager. Uh, they came out with two, two broad characteristics. Uh, 73% of their time 
was the sales management ability. So this is their ability, the sales manager's ability to sell, coach, own action items for, uh, for effectiveness in the deal and running successful transactions. And the last 27% was comprised of management fundamentals. These are things that you'd expect from a cultural standpoint. Integrity, reliability, being able to have a, a two-way conversation with a, a self-aware uh, manager. Those were the two big characteristics they, they drew out of this study. And don't we all know someone who was the best sales rep on the team and, and ultimately got promoted to a sales manager role and really didn't encompass either one of these two big buckets? Um, great sales are great sellers, no question. Uh, knew how to control the customer, maybe knew how to control the deal, but they were a classic lone wolf or a relationship builder and they didn't have any people management skills. And I've seen in my current company and others where you just don't get the fortitude and the training to become a people manager. And that, that really is a problem if you can't coach. You know, it does say, the first bullet did say selling, but I think that's a smaller component of that bullet than the coaching component and the owning component. Um, you gotta really be able to put yourself in your rep shoes and help them get better, not just get that one deal off the street. Yeah, and it's, we, we talked about this actually right before we started recording here that we're going to do a, a listener's choice. Um, this is a listener's choice that I requested, actually. It's about how do you – the stretch activities, Bobby. You you kind of led me to this early on in my career, the stretch activities that would help um, you be successful in your career. And if you are that top-achieving sales rep that's just killing it for your team year after year and you have big aspirations to become a manager – um, man, there are always questions about, well, they're a great rep, but would they ever be a great manager? So in, a, in an upcoming listener's choice that we're going to do here towards the end of the year, it's going to be about what kind of stretch activities can you do to prove that you can do the job before you do the job? Because like you said, so it, there's almost a bit of a stigma of the account manager that's really successful going on to manage his or her own, his or her own team. Um, it's, it's a pretty big stigma. So we'll record that. We'll share it out for the team. Um, but yeah, that, this is a this is a big concern for leadership. Whenever you have a, an, an account executive that's making this transa- uh, transition, so let's jump into it. Um, we have that we, we talked about the most important skill that any sales manager can possess is the skill of being innovative, finding creative ways to help their reps move deals forward. If you bring nothing else to the table, like you said, Bobby, even if you're not a seller, if you're somebody that can help bring an innovative approach to a a stalled deal or a deal you can't get across the line or a challenging sales process, somebody that brings innovation to the table is going to help you get that, move that deal forward. Yeah, and I, I call it creative as well. And, and sometimes I know people, sales leaders, who have been the deal orchestrator. Um, and what they don't do well is teach their team how to become the orchestrator and the creator or the innovator of those deals. So uh, we'll call it average sales rep goes into a corner office where the sales manager sits or works on a daily basis and says, hey, I'm stuck. My deal's stuck here. Maybe it's price. Maybe it's competition. Whatever the, the things are that's holding that deal back. And that sales manager in five minutes or less tells them all the steps they need to do to go get that deal and move forward. They do three or four of those things. They close the deal. Um but they can't do it themselves. That goes back to the coaching component of the challenger sales manager model that you've got to be able to teach them how to do it, 
so that the, you're not the one doing it or the manager's not the one doing it for them. That's going to set you apart and make you very different. And to the listener's choice that we will record, we'll try and give you some of those stretch projects that give you the ability to interact that way, have that opportunity to do some of that coaching before you become the sales manager. Because quite frankly, I've seen people too that just don't like doing that and they're not good at it. So they become a sales manager and they find themselves doing something almost every day that's no fun, not rewarding, and probably not making as much money. So we'll give you some options there as well. Yeah, I I think it was a bit of a surprise for me maybe getting into my first sales management job is that you're focused on sales process more so you're you're focused on sales process and Salesforce or whatever CRM tool it is you're using. That becomes your focus eighty percent of your day. So if you're if you're a guy or gal that that was just nails in front of the customer and that that was like man, you could you could take or leave filling out CRM, you could take or leave following the specific sales process that the company you know kind of quote unquote re- required you to do. Um and but but man, you were nails in front of a customer and you can always figure out a way to unstick a deal. Uh, but you hated kind of the tools part of it. This it could be a challenging role for you because there is a fair amount of sitting down with account executives, talking through their deals, talking through where things are stalled, how to advance it to the next step, overcoming their size and, and disinterest, and in actually um, doing some of the hard work required to unstick a deal. No doubt. So if innovative and creative is the number one skill set that the sales manager has to have. The second most important skill set has to be the the coaching capabilities, right? Being able to coach their reps. Indeed. And and so it breaks down the coaching piece into three different sections. Uh, Investigate, create, and share. So um, people that, a sales manager that investigates, they identify obstacles in the way of the sale. They gather feedback in terms of what is and isn't working. And then they identify how to resolve a customer pain. That's a, that's all of what we've been talking about. Again, this this highlights the importance of having a good sales process. Uh, if you didn't listen to that series, it's a good one to listen to. But but find a sales find a sales process, whether it's the company you work for, their own defined sales process, or come up with your own sales process. But if you can't approach every opportunity in a similar fashion and understand where things break down and where things slide through, you're never going to know where to make adjustments in that process. I think it's, it's the most crucial learning uh, I have from following a sales process. I also think it's so important that you understand that both in your wins and your losses, right? So you need to do win reviews and loss reviews with your team and your manager. So if you're sales rep today, you lose a deal, you can't wait for your manager to ask you to have this meeting. You've got to be the one driving the meeting. You've got to be the one providing the feedback that says, you know, did we really have access to power? Or we were we just really continue, continuing to believe this middle manager saying that he could sign a million-dollar uh, deal for us? And then ultimately it had to go to the board, and the board turned it down. It did meet some specific criteria, so we screwed up. If that's the case, then the process would have worked. You as a team or you as a sales rep maybe got a little bit lazy or blinded by some uh, cognitive bias that you didn't necessarily think was impacting your decisions. But at the same time, you have to drive that loss review and figure out why the deal didn't work out, why you didn't get the win, and then help your leadership team maybe tweak the process or help you find ways to where that doesn't break down next time. Definitely, and I love the uh, the foreshadowing of cognitive bias. <laughs> we'll get into that upcoming. Uh, number two, create 
um, they innovate around new ways to position an offer, uh, identify the ideal business outcomes, and work with reps and customers to define and explore new sales solutions. The, the only way, experience is really the only way to get this, I, I in my mind, it, and, and it takes being intentional to collect these things too. Uh, I've got a, I use Trello. Uh, I, I know we're gonna get into in the future a series uh, all about sales productivity. One of the productivity tools I use is called Trello. And it's a bit cumbersome, it's a bit of a heavy app, but it works across all platforms. And I've got it on my MacBook and I've got it on my iPad and got it on my iPhone. Um, I, the reason I mention all that is that there are, you know, in the heat of a deal, when you're when you're trying to come up with something innovative, creative, to to unstick something, um, you you can you can forget what helped you in a deal three years ago. So what I've what I've begun doing over the past two years is is being very intentional about this list of ideas, whether that's creative responses around payment terms, uh, legal gives. Um, you know how how we can get an extended teammate involved that we didn't really think of the first time. You can't try to you can't just all of a sudden. Come, well, uh, there are some people that probably have a, a steel trap for a mind that can come up with these on the fly. But it's about being very intentional. What's worked in the past? How can you get creative to help get a, a deal unstuck um, and moving forward? And while the manager might often see him or herself as that person that will help get that deal unstuck or be the uh, I like it when someone says, just use my title and I'll help you. Uh, I don't think customers really care about titles. But, you know, I, I have learned probably more over the last three years than not. I hate to admit it some, but it, it has benefited me very well to get people to win with me and to get people to lose with me. So uh, it's been a tip or a trick that I've started using a lot at Dell to have a VP get involved in my deals, both the ones that I know are going to happen. Uh, they like to know that they helped me close that deal and then get them involved in the ones that are a little risky. Uh, as scary as that might sound to an up and coming rep, you know, you're not going to win every one of them for the rest of your life. And if that person's involved and engaged and they had a chance to help you and then you lost, I have a feeling the backlash or the pain that comes from losing will not be near as bad because you didn't lose alone, but when you lose alone, you didn't get him involved. I'm sure it's going to be painful. Yeah, that needs to be it. That needs to be maybe not a series, but an episode all on its own about executive alignment, executive engagement. Because you're right, the downside of disengagement is can be really bad. The upside of a very positive engagement, outside of just winning the deal, which is a, obviously a positive outcome, can be many other things. If you have an executive that engaged with you on a deal that you ran really, really well, and they had a contribution to, it will only do it will only do positive things for your career. I can think of countless people that have had uh, stock uh, RSUs that were uh, higher than normal because of their direct engagement of leadership team. That leadership team, when it came time to allocate bonuses or allocate stock stocks. Um, it was the fact that they engaged the right executives at the right time, did the right things, um, and they, 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 those things came back up when it came time for, uh, for uh, bonus allocation. It's a big deal. All right, number three is share. These managers also share tactics and best practices. They develop and sustain cross-functional relationships with others in the organization. They filter news, information from elsewhere in the organization to their sales team. 
Uh, Bobby, you talked about this kind of early on in your career. Um, it wasn't always your default to share things that you would create. Um, but man, if you're going to be a top performer these days, uh, as you know firsthand, that's it's maybe one of the most important characteristics to have. No doubt. And the rep level is important, and we'll talk to that probably in just a minute. But this is this is specific to the manager. So uh, yeah. the way you run your team, the way you run your QBRs, if you create a QBR quarterly briefing deck that you like and the team likes, shares, share that with all the other managers. Don't just share it with your boss and hope that he disseminates or she disseminates that information. You share it. You be the leader in, in role that does those things to help cross-functional relationships in your organization. Those those people, you know, I've seen it where people have taken my ideas and rolled them up as their own. That One in 20 might work and get yeah. away with it. And, you know, good for them if that happens. But at the end of the day, if you're doing it unselfishly, um, the, the business will recognize it. The managers that see you do it will talk about you to other managers. And all those good things Brian just talked about from bonuses, et cetera, will, will continue to come your way way beyond what that one person that borrowed an idea and, and called it their own will get. And so think about it. And I would also think that sharing the things that aren't working are probably just as valuable to yeah. your peers, especially if, it's, if there's more than one new manager on the team, right? Hey, this weekly meeting, I've been doing X and Y, running the agenda this way. It's not working. You might be surprised of the nuggets you get back by trying to share some things that would set someone else back. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that this definitely warrants its own episode altogether. So we'll we'll develop that and uh, roll it out this year. The um, the framework that the Challenger Cell talks about is called the Pause Framework. Uh, it's a little little silly, but I but it, it I think it highlights five important uh, framework ideas to help a sales manager coach the teams effectively. Uh, pause basically stands for preparation, that's the P, affirm, understand, specify, and embed. Embed the new behavior, basically. Um, and to kind of to kind of lead off with it, preparation is for the coaching conversations. Uh, managers need to prepare for the coaching conversation. I, that's what you'd expect. Although I think, um, I don't know, I'll take maybe a different approach on this. Uh, there, there are so many times to where we've, we've maybe sat on a call to unstick a deal and the first, let's say we book a half hour call or even a one hour call and the first 15 to 30 minutes of that call are the basics of the deal. Who are they? What, what industry are they in? What's their recent performance? Who are the power players? What, you know, what are their earnings like? What's their revenue like? What are their business challenges? What systems are they running? This, th- those, are in, those are critically important details, but they are details that get in the way of a fruitful conversation. So if, you, if you've listened to us for a while, if you've listened to the show for a while, we talked about Prospect 360, whether you do that through us, whether you do that on your own, it's critical to pre, preemptively share this with the leader in the, in, the, in the team that's going to be engaging in this coaching. It's critical to get this out to that team ahead of time. Don't waste five minutes on setting up. Expect everyone to come into that meeting with fully educated, ready to go to have a fruitful conversation. Otherwise, you're going to get wrapped around stupid details and burn time. Agreed. I think uh, to just rewind slightly where you talked about this being a little cheesy or corny, no no disagreement there. Although, if you don't have something, at least start here, right? Like yeah. I, my manager 
is a brand new manager. Uh, just got a brand new manager on Friday. The announcement came. Uh, I could be wrong, and forgive me if I am, but I think they have zero management experience in their past, and are are being thrown into one of the largest enterprise sales teams in North America to lead a lot of talented salespeople that um, may have known what he liked as a as a person, but maybe not everyone else is going to like it. Needs some sort of framework uh, as a new manager to guide him through that process. And this is one that is no doubt one that he, he probably hasn't heard of and would stand to gain from by using it. Um, I see the preparation similarly, but more on the one-on-one conversations, right? If, if I'm going to prepare yeah. or if I'm going to have my one-on-ones, how often are those shotgun events that are just top-of-mind deals or end-of-quarter deals and don't do really any good for the rep? I tell people all the time, if you don't manage your own one-on-one with your boss, that's your fault because I don't think they take time to do it. Good bosses do, though. Good bosses prepare. They keep notes from meeting to meeting. They follow up and close action items, and they keep track of what we're working on, and they use them truly as coaching conversations, not deal progression conversations. There should be a forecast call, and then there should be your employee one-on-one. And hopefully your manager and the managers and to-be managers listening take heed and, and prepare for those conversations much like you wish maybe your worst manager would have done when you had them. It's great advice. I think, yeah, you're exactly right. I think the, um, great reps don't, don't let manager one-on-ones come to them. They're the ones that are owning the agenda, even for great sales managers, even when there's a great sales manager in place, they come prepared with their one note or their Evernote document. Um, with what they what was discussed last time, what were the action items, what's going to be discussed next, whether that's deal-related or career-related, they're owning those conversations. That's critical. Um, the second part of this is affirm the relationship, create a safe situation for coaching to occur. Um, what, I, what I've done on this traditionally, and I do this as an account exec, uh, as an overlay, as a manager, is I say, give me, a, on a scale of 1 to 10, what level feedback you want from me. And, and I do it, it's very intentional because uh, very, very few times will someone say, I only want it at a, like a six or a three. Everyone always wants all the feedback, right? They think they want all the feedback. Um, now, I, it's, it's how you deliver it is really, really important. But there, there are some tough conversations that need to be had. And that it's not tough conversations because somebody's doing something really bad. It's because it may be a nuance that no one is telling them about, that they've been doing for years and years and years, that is impeding the progress of their deals, it's impeding their career, and you need to create a safe uh, a safe environment, a safe situation for that coaching to occur by affirming that relationship. Yeah, and it, 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 I would also call out the positive. I, I still think what I see a lot happening in my work world is that people don't celebrate the good, right? They don't, they don't, they don't talk about what the rep's doing well because it is expected. We we probably all make a lot of money and we all are expecting and high results and we're type A people. But I, there's some people that need a pat on the back and they need to be uh, yeah. confirmed. Their goodness needs to be confirmed. And that's a retention thing, too, that would help new managers think through, you know, People like to be told what they're doing well, and you need to provide that feedback. You need to catch your people doing things well. Some 15 years ago when I got my first manager job, I stumbled across a book called The One Minute Manager. I'll throw out a little plug for that because the whole concept, the majority of that book talks about 
watching your people and focusing on when they do something right and calling it out quickly because it makes it a whole lot easier to have the open and candid conversation when things aren't going right. Think of the flip side of that. If you're only beating your team up all the time, they're probably not going to love working for you. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's a, that was a great book. Okay, third, understand expected behavior. Managers understand what to look for in a meeting. Um, this comes down to self-awareness, emotional intelligence. Um, you got if, if you're a manager that lacks that, man, it's worth taking a course on this online probably find something on Udemy. If you can't find something on Udemy, take Emotional Intelligence 2.0 or read Emotional Intelligence 2.0. That's a great book. You need to start being aware of the things that you say and the things that you do um, because that, that will impact the people's behavior that you're meeting with and you can also start to recognize their behavior and understand where um, where they may be feeling a bit insecure as well. We called it out in a few episodes previous, but I'm assuming not everyone's listened to all those, so I'll say when I got promoted at Microsoft, my manager called me and said, congrats, and we did all that hoopla. And he said, now, the one piece of advice I'll give you is that yesterday, no one knew what you were wearing. No one knew if you were in the office. No one knew anything really about you. But since this email's gone out and they know you're the leader of the team now, they will know whether or not you're chewing gum tomorrow. So be aware of every little detail and every little smile and flat flat lips that you have. People are going to recognize whether you're happy or sad. They're going to recognize everything. And so you have to truly be self-aware and you have to play the part. You are that manager now and uh, you got to step up your game in every aspect and know everyone sees every little detail. Yeah, I remember you sharing that feedback. Gosh, probably seven, eight years ago. Uh, Number four is specify behavior change. Managers should have a, uh, an objective standard uh, objective standard for judging behavior. That's I, I think that's a pretty obvious one. No doubt. Um, yeah. Uh, the fifth and final one is embed the new behavior. Managers should give their reps the tools to implement coaching suggestions. Tools like action plans um, and the like are, are useful here. Um, Again, having a sales process, the manager being familiar with that sales process, understanding when it's just uh, corporate jargon is probably the wrong word for it. But, you know, let's say that there's the real the way things get done, the real way things get done and the way corporate wants to see it get done. A good manager uh, has experience and knows how deals really work, how deals really come together so that they're giving action plans, feedback, pushing back internally when they need to push back internally against uh, you know, maybe operational leadership uh, or the like to help give good advice um, and implement those coaching suggestions on their deals. And the tools don't have to be super sophisticated. I'm a tools guy and get myself caught in the trap of creating a tool and spending too much time creating those tools. It could be as simple as a follow-up email after one-on-ones or after a meeting where you're observing your team. Um, take the time and be prescriptive and and coach them and give them a reason to follow up with you if you if you're giving them some guidance on how to write a better uh executive backgrounder when an exec's coming to town at least shoot them the outline of what ex- minimum expectations are going to be for that so that they have something to go on remember they may have never seen one and you may have seen 20 different versions so shoot them a previous version give them that tool don't just coach and walk away help i love it so with that one, we're going to wrap this up. I, I think the uh, one of the biggest points out of this, and this was um, both enlightening and scary in the same way, is that 20 to 30% of reps 
won't make the successful successful transition to the challenger model for for a number of reasons um it, it's not all aptitude related some of it's just um who moved my cheese kind of stuff if you have not read that book that's another great one we'll include that in the show notes um but it's it's not a difficult methodology to uh to transition to it could be a little bit scary because it's going to force you to to learn more to change some behavior in terms of how you engage with prospective customers and they make you think that man if i say these things or if i do these things I could get knocked out of a deal early, but it's well worth the investments uh, because it statistically shows uh, reps that are able to move to this methodology are more successful. Don't we all want it that? No doubt, for sure. And that means that 20 to 30% of the managers trying to implement this challenger manager style probably won't make it either. Um, find yourself a coach. Find yourself a mentor. Don't stop learning. Just because you got that next big job doesn't mean that you're going to be great at it. So keep learning. Keep listening to this series. Hopefully, we'll continue to provide you great content. Uh, if you don't like our content, get send us an email. Let us know. We'll do more. Uh, we don't want you to be average. We think average sucks. Average is the enemy. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to bobbyandbrian.com and follow them on Twitter at Bobby Brian Sales.